Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. On episode 29, the Gearheads sit and talk vintage BMX bikes, bass guitar, reality TV, and the value of just getting the hell out there and doing your thing with Steve Strope of Pure Vision Design. Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. And with us tonight is uh, some guy from L.A. named Steve who builds cars. Welcome aboard, Mr. Steve Strope. How are you tonight, sir? I'm good, man. How are you guys? Great. We're doing great, man. We uh, had a blast talking to you before the show, and um, hopefully uh, that that wonderful energy continues through here. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So how's your week going? What are you working on this week? Um... Working on this week is a mediumly top secret vehicle for Joe Rogan um, that will be seen by the world, mm, let's see, somewhere around the beginning of December on our new show on the Motor Trend channel, which is known to everybody right now as the Velocity channel. Um, we have a new TV show series airing called Handbuilt Hot Rods, and Mr. Rogan's vehicle will be shown in bare metal, will be the sixth episode. Um, so we're working pretty hot and heavy on that, um, and also just finished up a, or all but done with a 71 GTO um, that was also being filmed. But all of these cars we work on for the show, they're actual real customers and cars we were building before the show ever got created. Uh, so they're not built for the show. They're built for customers, and the show follows along with what happens. Um, I can't stress enough that I had many, many conversations with the higher-ups and the TV world. made it very clear that we are not going to be doing the standard-issue dog-and-pony show the idiot morons that throw wrenches and swear and have beards and tattoos, nothing against beards and tattoos, but it seems to be a prerequisite um, prop to have a quote, cool shop. Hey, to tell everybody we're really boring. We're four guys who are uh, three of us are 50 years old or older. The other guys working on 40. We work on extremely cool hand built cars and we excel at it. And that's the whole deal we, we were not, um, you're not going to see fights, arguments. I'm not going to take them hot air ballooning on the weekends because we had a great time. <laughs> uh, um, we're not, we're not going to be doing stupid ass crap. We build cars and we, we like to think that we do, we build some of the nicest in the country and we are trying to show that on the show of what goes into these cars that take a year to two years to build. And, um, this series came in while, Three or four of them were already pretty much half built. So that's how this was even possible. 
Um, so it just uh, shows uh, how we do what we do, and the people that are involved with us are amazing. Painter McJenkins, our phenomenal interior guys, Gabe's, and um, what happens to create these cars? <clears throat> excuse me, and um, have them finished and um, have customers that are happy. So that's what that's about. There is no stupid idiot crap going on, and uh, I won't allow it. So um, hopefully we're going to bring some intelligent car building television to light. Each episode's an hour long. I apologize ahead of time that you're going to see my ugly freaking face for an hour in your living room. But um, other than that, um, it's good stuff. I've seen some first, uh, some first cuts, and I think it's really well done. I've got great people um, in the editing bays and, and the filming stuff. The, the guys handling all the TV side of it are people who have – this is not their first rodeo. They've done it many, many, many years. So um, looking forward to it. I hope the, uh, the car community and the community outside the car community um, enjoys it. I hope, I hope it sends a positive message. And no, cars don't get built in three days. Uh, <laughs> three weeks? Yeah. <laughs> it's always three weeks, huh? It's like, there's no way. It's going to be done by no, Thursday. No, there is no way. Yeah. Well, you know. It's, it's, show what the Walmart says, to go to. Foos has a very interesting yet mathematically correct answer when how does a car like that get stripped down and built um, in a quick amount of time? And he goes, well, when you have 30 or 40 people working X amount of hours a day for a week, it's actually, you know, 5,000 or 6,000 hours or 3,000 hours. And with 3,000 hours, you can build a car. And technically, he's right. The problem is, is stuff is still rushed and still rushed and mistakes are still made and paint is forced to dry quickly and blah, blah, blah. But nevertheless, whether he's right or wrong, um, one, he's made himself a rather impressive amount of financial gain. And that's my phone telling me other people need to bother me. Um, so he's done, a, you know, he's done good by himself. Um, I I know they have millions and millions of people worldwide that enjoyed what they've done for entertainment. Uh, and on that end, it was entertainment. But the problem is it has also um, diluted the water of what people think can really happen at a shop. Um, so, you know, everything's a give and take in this world. And he gave entertainment and he took credibility. Maybe not from himself because he still charges, you know, $300 billion a car. Um, but, um, so I'm, I'm just trying in, in my way to show or attempt to show what happens at a real shop that's professionally building cars with competent people. Um, and it's kind of my retort back to American hot rod with Boyd. So I was here, I am putting my foot in my mouth, but I seem to excel at that. So, um, you know, when I watched that, I was saddened. Um, Boyd was an idol of mine, along with the the eternal awesome god, Scott Sullivan. But Boyd was also an idol of mine growing up in a very small little farm town in upstate New York named Appalachian. And I lived and breathed for my new issue of Hot Rod and Carcraft. And Boyd obviously was an icon. Um, and to watch him, in my opinion, I mean, I was 
people can quarter me and I'll, I'll speak my mind again. It, he totally sold out or was talked into selling out, made himself and his shop look like a bunch of idiot goobers. And I have no idea. Well, I do have an idea. A normal sane millionaire, why he would ever take a car there after watching how they supposedly build cars. I would never consider taking a car there after I watched an episode of, or two. But I know the draw of TV, so I know the answer to my question. When you have an attention horror millionaire who wants to be on TV, he doesn't care if the car is built by a group of what appears to be bumbling morons. Um, so I was very disappointed in that show, not for entertainment's sake, uh, but just it made one of my heroes look like he had a group of dingbats and that they you know, couldn't get their act together half the time and then miraculously at the end, you know, Everything was awesome. It was a real shame. They they should have done a proper documentary, you know, kick-ass thing of this this god of hot riding who literally him and little John Butera and Chip Foose, you know, running design um, for a good while before the big fallout, which happened after his company went public and a whole lot of people got screwed and it got separated out. You know, it's just... It was a real shame. It was like the fall of Camelot. You know, it's like, wow. It's... So I don't want that. I want to show what happens at a real high-end shop that handles real people who spend a lot of money on what we go through to, to build and hand over a properly built, highly modified, designed, and thought-out car. So hopefully, mm. and there's more people wanting to get a hold of me. Um, hopefully that is what we accomplish when you guys watch it. So that's what we're doing. Uh, still filming that. And then of course I have daily stuff. I have stuff that's not filmed customer cars, you know, um, we've got a, a wonderful, uh, 63 Dodge 880 going to go together for a return of about three quarters of my customers are return. They've already built one or two cars with me. Um, nice. This Dodge is it for a chef out of Austin. We already did a Fury 2 for him and his wife. Um, Reggie Bush, we did some stuff for a couple of couple of cars. Uh, Joe Rogan, this is uh, the third car we've had here. Um, we just finished a really, really nice 57 Ford wagon for Bob Florine, very good friend. Uh, he co-owns the uh, Bolt Fastener Company, ARP. Right on. Um, we... Uh, uh, just finished a 71 convertible GTO. Fantastic car. Uh, this is the gentleman's third car. Um, we're shooting that with a hot rod here next month. And that was uh, one of the episodes. Uh, we're doing a pretty straightforward restoration on a original 69 Mach 1 Mustang that was a, ordered as a 428 Cobra Jet 4-speed car for a uh, police, police officer here in Simi Valley. Um a really neat little 63 Nova for a gentleman who owns a kind of a contracting company. Um, so plenty of stuff, uh, a lot of cars uh, being worked on. So the daily keeping the business flowing, plus I had all the design and have to approve all the other stuff, um, keeps me busy in the addition to the television stuff, keeps me really hopping. Um, not a lot of downtime, per se. I'm going to take another drink now and, you know, take a breath. <laughs> so 
so how do you fit all the cars into the shop around the uh, the two ping pong tables and the water slide and yeah. all the stuff we That's talked about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no there's no uh, millennials working here. Um, <laughs> send your uh, send your hate mail to purevisionss at aol.com. Um, bring it on. Bring your whiny punk ass on. Bring it on. And tell me how rude I am for saying millennials, and then go cry in your non-alcoholic half latte whipped crip whatever bullshit you drink. Did I say that? I think I did. That was probably mean. I think that was mean and uncaring. And you're right. And f you. How's that? So, <laughs> you just gave me the title for this episode. It's perfect. I, to, to, to quote uh, Dennis Leary, I represent the angry, gun-toting, meat-eating people. Um, <laughs> I, I really don't care about your feelings. And guess what? The rest of the world, even your friends, they don't care about your feelings either. They're just lying to you. Um, ooh. But we're not going to talk about them because there's uh, this is a, a man-bun-free zone. Um, they do not allow that. And I am a person who made a living in rock and roll. Traveled, played, and had hair that was uh, at least half down to my back. I have no problem with long hair. I have no problem with ponytails. I have a problem with your weird-ass man bun. Have a fucking ponytail and grow your hair long, you little whiny twit. Oh, and get rid of the sandal. Unless your name's Gray Baskerville, take your sandals off. I, don't want to, I really don't need to see your toe jam walking around freaking, you know, Kmart. Uh, well, unfortunately, it's illegally to kill people. So, um, <laughs> it's even problematic to gag and bound them and put them in the closet. So, um, I'll just I'll just ignore them and then they'll go away. <laughs> this is this is the I'm New Yorker in him coming in. Yeah, I swear. <laughs> I'm such an opinionated jerk. I swear to God, I, I just am. I'm, I'm a bad. I'm a bad person. I'm bad. I'm no. very bad. <laughs> no, oh. you're honest, and this is great. No, I'm, oh yeah. Oh, I'm honest. Oh, to a fault. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Let's oh, say again. I'm honest. <laughs> That's that East Coast like upbringing. I think we're raised that way back there. Do you, you see what's you know what? It, it, it's interesting, and it, you know there are tons of cool, great people everywhere. Oh my gosh, shut up. I know there's another message. It's terrific. Um, can you guys hear that when my phone does that? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> but it was interesting. This is not my interpretation. This was said to me. So all West Coast people listening, do not get mad at me. This was told to me by West Coast people when I moved to California 20... Yeah. 25, 26 years ago, okay? I did not make this up, and I didn't determine it on my own, and it was a Californian native who said the following words. Actually, a few of them. I'm not going to directly quote. I'm going to give you the basic idea. You're almost uncomfortable with all your honesty because out here you kind of skate around it. You don't really say what you think or what you feel. You know, you just... You just, yeah, okay, yeah. And and you don't do that. And I'm like, no, I don't do that. You know, I, I have a, to which I would tell an example, there's somebody I worked with when I was younger back home. 
I moved out here when I was 25. So this happened between 20 and 25 years old. And I was working at a, at a facility and there was a, a guy that me and him did just not get along. It was, I mean, just fire and ice. And it was a situation where, you know, I really had to know what he was doing and he had to know what I was doing. So both of us could get our jobs done. So I just pulled him aside and I said, look, I know you can't stand me and I think you're a freaking dick, but here's the thing. Both of our jobs are going to be just impossible. So I'll tell you what, I'll tell you whatever you need to know and get you whatever information you need and you do the same for me. Okay. And at that point, when we agreed on that within the next couple of months, me and him were hanging out at lunch, kicking around, and got along great because we called it out to the table and made a point of it and then found out we both liked each other because at least we were freaking straight up with each other, you know? Um, it, it's interesting that that got said to me when I moved out here. You know, I was like, man, you're almost uncomfortable with, with being so blunt. And I'm like, oh, man. I, I mean, they were giving me a compliment, so I, I wasn't sarcastic back to them. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a scary state of affairs that you actually notice that and give me a comment or a compliment or whatever it is. Now, that's that's kind of freaky. I mean, you know, like, wow, really? Uh, again, California people, don't get on my shit. I didn't make this up, and I was told this. So... <laughs> So let's. Why am I talking about this? Are we supposed to talk about cars? Yeah, we're we're, <laughs> we're getting there. Don't let me talk about that crap. Don't let me do that. Just void that all out. Just fix it in post, for the love of God. <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> no, gonna... so going back, it, it, you had mentioned you know you were sitting at home as a young kid waiting for the next issue of Hot Rod to show up. Oh hell when yeah! Did, when did you? get into cars was it like was your family into cars or is this something you no, were no. influenced by easy answer easy. I, I am i am so easy answer i can pinpoint them um young kid uh starting at like eight nine years old uh easy of course having hot wheels and matchbox dug that no question and um a lot of my family lives on the same street uh, same road, whatever, not next to each other, but within a two mile, three mile span. And, um, one of my cousins, Donnie was older than me by oh, at least 10, 15 years had a black 70, 72, 73 Camaro. And of course, back home, there's winter and summer, you know? So in the winter, it had snow tires on the back and old beat up rally wheels and in the summer he had hijacker air shocks a lakewood traction bars set of chrome hooker side pipes cragger ss's on indie ss profile tires and i would just sit in the driveway and stare at it stare at it and my uncle always had jc whitney catalogs where you could order you know the the low the louvers and the chrome side pipes and the all that stuff and i I just loved those catalogs. And there's this little tiny pharmacy. I'm from a very, very small town. There's one red light at the very end of it where it meets the rest of the world. Um, there, there's literally nothing there. There's farms and a, some houses and a fire station. And so there's this little tiny pharmacy, and it had some car magazines there. 
and I would, my mom would never buy them for me, but I'd pick them up and look at them when she was there getting stuff. And near my house, within riding my, my BMX bike distance, there were three different guys that raced asphalt and dirt NASCAR. And from my dad's porch, you could hear down at Shangri-La Speedway, you could hear the Saturday night big block feature. And so I would watch these guys cut up these mid-70s Malibus and welding, you know, stick welding cages. And they had a school bus gutted with wood ramps. And that was the cars literally rolled up into the back of the school bus. And uh, then in, in sixth grade, I have the what I'm about to tell you, I still have. I actually framed it so it would never go bad. In my sixth grade class, I drew a triple black uh, for art class, a 68 Roadrunner with aluminum slots. Um, there was a, I went to this very small school, one class per grade, 14 to 15 kids per class. So the 15 kids in eighth grade that graduate next year are the 15 kids in ninth grade. And there was a senior named Jim who had this triple black Roadrunner, and he parked it in the parking lot over there, and the school bus picked you up over there. And I would miss a school bus almost every day, just listening to him fired up and drive it away. And he took for a ride. He took me for a ride in that thing and, and power shifted it. It was a four-speed car. And, um, you know, I mean, they, I, was, I, was, I was mainlining race fuel right then. It was never, never leaving my veins. Um, I did a, an interview of filming with these guys called Petrolicious a couple of years ago. And if I kindly, kindly or, or slightly quote myself, you know, this, this is my drug and I don't have a car phase. Nothing makes me more sick than when I meet guys and they, for, for whatever reason, they're not in my industry, but they ask me what I do and, they go, oh, I had my car phase. I remember when I was into cars. I'm like, this isn't a phase for me. I, I eat, breathe, and sleep this crap. I love it. I love it, and it has nothing to do with owning the shop. In fact, if you want to hate cars, own a shop, because you'll hate it. <laughs> you'll hate it real, real damn quick. You know, uh, If you want to lose a lot of money, you lose a lot of money and hate cars, own a hot rod shop. Um, but I, I still am excited about when I design stuff and every single time I have a photo shoot, I'm, I'm thrilled and I've had a lot of them. I, I, I just had one yesterday. I'm going to have one in two weeks. I film for it, you know, and none of it bores me. I'm always so thankful that an editor thinks something that came out of my brain and out of our hands here that their readership will like it. I'm, I'm still 16, and yeah, man, I'm in a magazine. Isn't that cool? And it's sad because I have friends that do what I do who shall remain nameless that have well-known shops also, and they're like, eh, it's almost like a pain to them. And I know the pain. You know, you got to get it ready and get it down there and blah, 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 sit around all day. But I don't really look at it that way. I'm still excited to do it, and I'm still thankful for it. When people ask for my stuff to be in their booths at SEMA, I am I am ecstatic that people find us relevant and still think we're doing stuff that other people would like to stop by and look at. Um, so 
I can to try to reel in the tangent here. Uh, very young age, really dug mechanical. Every single toy of mine, every one was cut up and modified and changed or hand painted to look better. Um, everything, everything was modified before I could ever tinker. And then my first hot rod, like a lot of guys, and I know a lot, I can name names. Our first hot rod was actually a BMX bike. Um, because you can modify, you can modify that thing. You pick your own colors and anodized parts. And when you're 13, you've got, you know, the, the blue PK ripper with gold parts and he's got the white red line with red parts. And 10 years later, you've got the black Camaro with chrome wheels and he's got the red Mustang with, you know, it's still individuality. It's still picking the car or the, the, the vehicle and the parts that express you. And to quote Mr. Peterson, a hot rod is a vehicle that's modified by the owner for better looks and performance. And that was my BMX bike. Um, it was modified by me for better looks and better performance. So that was my first hot rod. Um, and I have a rather large and continuously growing uh, vintage BMX bike collection. And luckily for me, two of my employees have the same problem. So um, <laughs> we have a bunch of them to the point where I don't know if any of you out there know Scott Colleen, but he's a very well-known photographer in our, in our industry. Scott and I have been seriously discussing doing a coffee table book, not a cute little book, a coffee table book on vintage BMX. And I'm, I'm hoping that turns out. But a lot of guys, Zane Collin uh, from Katati Speed Shop, um, uh, Timmy Strange sponsors a BMX team. And grew he up still racing rides, BMX. too. Oh, heck yeah. I still ride. Um, so um, first hot rod was, was my mongoose. It became a super goose. Don't be a judger. And, um, but you know, I was already around real grassroots racing, uh, at, you know, eight, nine years old. Um, and then my cousin's car and that, and that senior's car. And I don't know if you'd ever hear this, but there's a gentleman named Mike Wright who moved to the Carolinas but he had a little house on a corner near where my school was. And he had a really neat little barn garage. And I'm obviously the dogs, the horrible dogs. Um, I would ride my bike to school because my BMX bike was everything. And I saw this guy out front of his garage with this really nice 32 Ford which I didn't know because I was too young, but it was actually cover car for rod action. And um, he was building a 37 Phaeton and had an unbelievably perfect chassis with a 289 in it with a Rotomaster turbocharger way before turbos were in vogue. I mean, this would be 1980, 1983, 1984. And um, watched him build that over the course of a couple of years and he'd let me watch him and uh, he was crazy detailed super super neat freak anal detailed and that's where I picked up that lesson to be very clean and organized and nothing nothing is important 
on the build. Everything needs to have a place and look proper in a certain way. So Mike was a really big inspiration because there was nobody in my area building cars. Nobody. So I lucked out that this guy was in route of where I would ride my bicycle home from school. So he was a major, huge influence on me. Yeah, very lucky that there was somebody older who recognized my enthusiasm and um, allowed me into their world. And also lucky for me, he was extremely high quality. Just a super detailed dude. And uh, that's probably the luckiest break for me because it, it matched up my personality and how I like to do things and taught me lessons. So by the time I could drive, there was a guy in a, another area called Endicott that had a speed shop. And he let me just apprentice there for free just to hang out. And then on the weekends, I would go with him. He had a Another guy, luckily for me, had extremely, ridiculously, mentally, perfectly clean 66 Chevelle drag car. Probably like a 10-second car. And um, everything was always spotless on this car, even though it was a drag car only. But you know, a lot of drag cars are usually ridden hard and put away wet. Um, and he was another person that didn't have to drive it into me. It was like lead by example of, you know, everything's clean, everything's neat, everything's tidy, everything's proper, everything's safe. Um, so those two guys, between the, like, 13 years old and 19 years old, were terrific inspiration and guidance. Because not only did they do really great stuff, but they were very detailed and um, did a good job of whatever it is they decided to do. So those really good... Um, learning lessons for me to experience and, and, and be, and watch and, and, uh, uh, learn from. Awesome. So as far as like any formal training goes, did you, did you have any formal training? Did you get like shop classes, anything like that? No, a lot of cutting and burning myself and creating swear words. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> okay. pretty much how that, how that worked out. Yeah. And, there's no official training. There's just, you know what, again, really good examples. I knew what I wanted to do when I designed my own stuff when I started doing that. Um, you know, my first car out of my dad's barn when I moved out here to Cali got featured in Hot Rod and Custom Rodder and Custom Classic Truck. Um, and then the next car I built in my underground parking garage in Studio City was Hot Rod, cover for Mopar Muscle, Daytona Magazine Japan was my first top 10 car of the year with Hot Rod Magazine. And I literally built that in my underground parking garage in Studio City at my apartment. Um, but wow, the, that's awesome. Dude. Yeah. Uh, that's because I'm too stupid to know that I can't. I, I just did. Um, like suspension stuff, converting it to disc off of a, you know, it was a 66 Dodge Charger, so converting it to disc was using 71, 72 uh, disc brake stuff off a of four-door Valiant because this stuff bolts on. And I went to the junkyard, stripped everything. I found the one, the one outdoor extension or the one outdoor electrical plug at the at the apartment building. Had three extension cords to wrap it around the side of the building to this little concrete pad in the back where I sat with a electric drill with a wire wheel on the end of it and cleaned all of it off to bare metal. 
and then I bought plastic covers that you buy for like 15 cents or whatever at Home Depot to put down on a floor when you paint a room, you know? I covered all my neighbor's cars with them because I'm courteous and then hung all the suspension parts up on the water pipes and <laughs> shot them all with, with uh, epoxy paint. And that's how I built that car like that. Um, this is awesome. But the, <laughs> oh well, I just wanted to. I wanted to. And so I did what I had to do. Um, and I built that thing, took it on power tour. And I would, I literally changed the engine brake in oil on the power tour. Um, um, and then Hot Rod loved it and everybody else loved it. And that kind of kick-started this whole deal. Um, but you know what? There was lots of inspiration, like I said, from, from people that really I just loved looking at stuff from Scott Sullivan, uh, Matt and Debbie Hay, Mark Grimes, uh, the, the pro the pro street dudes and attention to detail and of course Boyd's um, and uh, that stuck in my head how they did it and then I interpreted it my way because I had no money so I had to figure out how to make things that clean and that neat but with the hand tools that I had and my imagination and my ideas and um but definitely inspired by by those dudes that I read about every month. Oh, just wanted to. I wanted to bad enough, and so that overcame whatever hurdles there might have been. Like you know, no money. <laughs> um, my, my, first, my first promo material because I had my one car El Camino already in hot rod, so I wanted to try and get sponsors to help me with parts on this charger I'm building. And I wanted to take it on this new thing they're doing called the power tour. So I created this promo pack thing that I made in the Kinkos on Ventura Boulevard, Ventura and Laurel Canyon. The Kinkos is still there. I was there at two, three in the morning typing up and making this, this promo thing, making photocopies of my features in hot rod and custom classic truck with my El Camino and saying, hey, I'm going to uh, build this car, and uh, we're going to go in Hot Rod, hopefully. And um, I went to Hot Rod. I kind of played one against the middle. Boy, I don't know if I should be saying this now. But <laughs> I, I told the guys at Hot Rod that, you know, I'm going to be talking to all these people about parts that are also sponsors of your power tour. You know, would you run my artwork? Because that's what pros did. They had artwork. So I had a friend of mine draw my car, how I want to do it, right? I still have, I made a photocopy of a 66 Charger. I, I, I scanned it, cut out the body, cut around the wheel wells to take the, the wheels out of it, took another piece of paper, drew a black line on the ground with a crayon, photocopied the rims I wanted to use, shrunk them and raised them in the photocopier to get the size I wanted, took black construction paper, taped the rims to the black construction paper, and then cut around them to have my tires, the diameter I wanted, taped those to the paper, and then sat the body down over the rims and tires to get the ride height, colored it in with crayons, designed the logo, and sent it to my friend who did the real drawing. And that's how I designed my first car at that Kinko's on Ventura Boulevard. And I created this promo pack, so I talked to Hot Run about, hey, I hope these guys that are involved with you involved with me. You know, maybe you could run my drawing. And then I told the 
this potential sponsors, hey, Hot Rod might run my drawing. And so Hot Rod ran my drawing, and the sponsors, like guys that have been with me forever, like Year One and different companies like that, helped me out. And then I showed up for on the kickoff party here in at Pomona, and the rest is history. That's uh, that's how that happens. There needs you know, to be one of those all... historical plaques on that Kinko. Kinko is yeah. like, you know, yeah. well, on this spot I just, I just, in 1990, whatever, you know. Well, people, you know, people ask me, like, what's the thing that, you know, drives you or what's the claim to fame or the whatever? And I'm like, I, I just wanted to bad enough and I was too stupid to know that I couldn't. So I just did. You know, nobody said I can't. And if somebody said I can't, I go, eh, f you. I want to, so I'm gonna. It's just, just do it. You know, try to do a good job, and and don't let anybody tell you no. You know, and it, it's that simple. I mean, that's supposedly the American gig, right? You just do it. You just get. I just. Get your hand I remember how you're saying that, Stevie. you're too. I said I remember how you're saying that that you're too stupid to know you can't. That, that's actually a brilliant way to put it. Well, I am. I'm not a rocket scientist. Oh, good Lord. You know, inter- interesting personal story. I don't know if it's interesting. That's probably pushy. Personal story is when I'm in my 40s, I got informed that I was adopted. Whoa. And um, I, for one, I was perfectly okay with it. No problems. I always loved my family, so that made me love it even more that they weren't forced with me. They actually picked me, you know, so, <laughs> so that made me even happier. I wasn't upset. I wasn't mad. I was very thankful. Right. But here's my dad. And he's like beating around the bush going, well, maybe you've thought of things before and this and that. And I'm like, dad, I don't know what you're getting to, but I, I'm not picking up your bouncing ball here. Just tell me what you're telling me. And he goes, actually, I'll pause the story. My dad is a 3D laser hologram expert for IBM with 23 patents to his name. Okay. He also, before that, grew up in like a large, like seven or eight kid farm family. Total, total blue collar background. His dad died when he was in his early teens in a lumber mill accident. You know, he's a man's man. And then went on to be a flipping genius. Okay. So... Going back into the story, dad's explaining or trying to beat around the bush. And I go, just tell me whatever it is you're trying to tell me. And he goes, well, you're, you're adopted. And I pause for a second. And I looked at him. I go, oh, that's a relief. And he goes, a relief. Now, remember, this man has held this secret for 40 some years. You know, and he goes, a relief. I go, yeah, because you're a genius and I'm a moron. And now there's no pressure at all. I'm not your real kid. <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, I can breathe now. I just thank God because I work with like oil and metal. You know, I'm like two steps away from, from caveman, you know, so, you know, thank the banker. And he, he just said, you know, you've always had a great sense of humor and that's great. Now go upstairs because your mom's bawling her eyes out because she thinks she'll never talk to us again. <laughs> so I go upstairs and, and remember my dad's an IBM guy, computer guy, right? And I go, I go, mom, she was real upset. And I go, you know what? You know how dad is, because dad was around when computers started, you know, I go, you know how dad has always said, you know, that, that 
um, you know, they only know what to put in, right? And dad's always said that the brain is the greatest computer ever, that God made the most complex, most impossibly depth computer in your head. And computers only know what they've been, what they've been programmed. And the only thing the greatest computer in the world in my head knows is that you're my mom. Do you understand me? There is no problem. I love you more than life itself. It's okay. There's no difference in feeling. There's nothing that changes because my computer only knows that you're my mom. And that's never going to change. So, you know, no harm, no foul. It's okay. But, um, but it was a big relief because my dad's really smart and I'm a dingbat. So, you know, we're, we're good. Well, I, was, I was happy about that. So, she wasn't crying before. Ethic. She was bawling her head off when you were done. Yeah, no, no. She, I, and she felt, you know, she she felt better. Yeah, it's all cool. It's all cool. Awesome. And, uh, great story. She's good people. You know, they're good people. I'm so lucky. I wound up there. I could have wound up anywhere, and I was at this cool family that had uncles that owned hundreds if not thousands of acres that I could ride my dirt bike on and grow up in the woods and, and make forts out of hunter perches. And, you know, it, I, I just wound up in the perfect place for me, the perfect place for me, you know, just, yeah, I, I, I actually would even right down to the lawn, this giant lawn that takes three and a half hours to mow on like a seven horsepower, big riding mower. And I had, had like one, a belt driven clutch, right? And there was this rise going up to the road, and I found if I put the clutch in and popped it, I could actually make the tractor wheelie out into the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky. I'm, we're on a rise of a hill, so I'm lucky. In a, in a, in a cartoon, there would have been a truck that would and just, you know, take me off the screen. But I was so good at wheeling in that son of a bitch. But, um, but you know, stuff like that. Character building shit. You're stuck on the tractor, listening to Van Halen, Diver Down, you know, and nice. uh, splitting wood and having to do that because our house was heated with wood and, and oil and, you know, work ethic. And I had, to, I had to weed the garden during summer vacation before I could go play or do anything. You know, hate that freaking garden. But <laughs> I... I <laughs> But I could walk outside for my mom at dinner and literally pick corn off the cob and carrots out of the ground. Um, in fact, my first business, uh, we had apple trees on a property, and I'd pick apples. My dad would front me the money to take it to a cider mill and press it, and I'd sell cider and then hand my dad back his, you know, his down and keep the profit. So, that's cool. Oh, yeah, that's – you. I tell you, I think growing up back there that way really gets you – it, okay, it gives you that work ethic, but I think it made hustlers out of all of us. And you learned how to do stuff like shovel driveways, mow lawns, oh, whatever it took money in your pocket. Oh, oh, yeah. You're not kidding, baby. Oh, my God, stupid snow. Jesus. Oh, oh yes, yes, snow. Yuck. No, but, no. Uh, I love when you have it cleared and then the snowball comes by and puts a three-foot freaking mound <laughs> at the end of the driveway again. And that's full of rocks, so it weighs like 16 tons trying to shovel it out of the way. <laughs> and there's no, no way I, to time it. You can't time oh, that and, snowplow. Because these guys are my unique. My dad is so, so perfect. I need a movie about my childhood life, I swear to God. He's got a snowblower 
unit that attaches to the tractor. Did ever get attached? No, just use the shovel. Oh, it's really, you know. <laughs> we had a trailer that hitched to the back of the tractor, you know. Because at first, <laughs> the, the, the logs we split are like way back over there. My, my parents have big property, right? We'd get trees with the limbs cut off from our one uncle. Then we'd have to chainsaw it and then split it and stack it. It'd dry during the summer and the fall. They got to bring it in the house. And it's just like, instead of the damn wheelbarrow, can we use the, the trailer behind the tractor? And then by the time I'm like 13 or 14, I'm like, you have a pickup truck. Can I just back that up to the wood <laughs> and then drive it up to the back of the house and do this in like two trips? Oh, no, no, no. We can't have that. Efficiency would make sense. And I could actually go do something with my day. No, 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 no. No. Uh, I swear to God. I, you know, I'm glad he made me do it because I got my work ethic. But oh my, oh my loving God. I used to live yeah. for that. It's like you come flying around the corner on your bike with your buddies and there'd be two cords of wood laying in the driveway and you're going, eh, there goes tomorrow. Yeah, right out the window. God dang it. But you know what? It's part of the gig. That's that's the way it um, it rolled. So I, for me, I, I was very, very fortunate that that was my childhood and my upbringing. And uh, I'm, I'm very lucky because I think it helped molded. I mean, the other thing is I'm partly insane and I, you know, I have issues. But um, other than that, you know, the good stuff is from my mom and dad. You know, the, the good stuff, the stuff that keeps people from, you know, public executions on me. Um, that uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate and lucky to be to have the background that I have and such a really cool family and grew up in a cool area where dirt bikes and, you know, beat up old stock cars and, you know, that's cool shit, you know? And um, so, you know, God, I might as well just shut up now because that's a good note. But <laughs> No, that's awesome. I have a theory, though, that... Uh... Anyone who spent a lot of time mowing lawns, there's got to be something in the grass clippings that gets into your brain and gives you a sense of humor. Because I don't know a single person who <laughs> didn't cut a lawn as a kid that has a sense of humor. Any one of us that spent like you know, like 15 oh. hours a week doing that crap, yeah. we, we can laugh at anything. It's just kind of a weird thing. That's I'm going to look for a government grant on that one of these days. Probably because yeah. the whole time you're cutting grass over the drone and the mower, your mind is just working. You know, you're just thinking oh. about stuff. That's your that's oh, your yeah. thinking time. <laughs> oh <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's you know it's fantastic. It's fantastic downtime. Um, I my house up here in Simi, I moved into a rather nice neighborhood, and up until recently, because of you know, time frames and TV shows and stuff like that. I mowed and edged and did my own lawn. And I was the only guy in my neighborhood that did my own lawn. In fact, they all looked at me like I was out of my mind. Um, but it was fantastic me time because nobody's going to bother me. Phone's not going to ring. I don't have, you know, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and uh, it's amazingly therapeutic plus it plays into the whole ocd thing of mine where i'm edging and i'm making the edge go around the you know the edge trimmer go perfectly around the edge of my driveway and you know here i am humoring my perfection stage with my edge trimmer <laughs> and um you know 
So it humors that side of me too, you know, you know, personal pride, personal pride. You know, I did a good job doing that, whatever. Well, there's nothing better when it's done and you've looked at it and you've done the double crisscross pattern in the front yard and you smell uh, the cut grass and the hydrocarbons coming off the uh, mower. That's the uh, bitch. That's the greatest smell in the world. What are you talking about? And it's like, well, dude, you, you have to, if you don't know it, then, you know, yeah. and it's such a simple thing. It's not like going to the moon, you know? That's right. No, for uh, me, I think I'd learned a lot about design by just trying to come up with a different pattern to put in the lawn. <laughs> or the occasional ones when you figured out the planes were going overhead, so you, you know you cut it in the shape of a dick, and yeah, you crop circle. goes down out of their yeah. plane and goes. Hey, crop guy's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> porno crop circles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, so anyway, though I I build and design cars and came from a small farm town and that's really the whole thing. That's what I do. Um, I enjoy music, um, eat, breathe and sleep it. Um, and, uh, still in playing, uh, still been recording for people. Um, so I have a great time doing that. And, um, so I, I practice and rehearse, with a, with a band right now that's very fantastic. It lets me get out of the, the, the car element and have a good time and play and use my brain in that way. Um, so I enjoy that very, very much also. And I listen to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of music. A uh, very wide variety. Everywhere from American Indian wind flute accompanied by piano to Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction. Uh, everything in between so, so for our listeners um, who don't know, you you play the bass guitar. How long have you yeah. been playing? I've been playing bass for over thirty-five years. Damn. When, and where where did you where did you pick that up? Self-taught. Um, I oh, took oh. a couple piano lessons, hated it. Took classical guitar lessons, enjoyed it. Came home one day for school, and my mom bought this little short-scale bass. Um, that looks exactly like Angus Young's red SG. Um, <laughs> she bought it at a, at a, at a, uh, yard sale with a little piece of crap speaker, little tiny 15 watt piece of junk. So you're playing it and it just sounds like a well-executed fart, you know, <laughs> you know, and I sat down in a, in first two songs I learned was, uh, Space Truckin' by Deep Purple and Holy Diver by Dio. And um, I proceeded to get my hands on every piece of music I could, and I learned everything from Queen, Styx, ACDC, The Commodores, Barry Manilow, John Denver, Ted Nugent, um, you know, you, you name it. I learned it. I taught myself by ear. And later on in my particular area in upstate New York, there was a competition i got voted the area's best bass player um i had a luthier named chris mead he made my own model bases um so i did really well with that uh and was doing that pretty hot and heavy all the way to 95 and a couple of things happened that really frustrated me so i had this crazy opportunity to move out here to work for a guy that made billet aluminum parts and i was going to travel the country and sell it for him here about sold everything I had moved out here 
And uh, he had already been evicted out of his apartment, so I was living on the uh, chair of uh, one of his employees. And then about a week later after that, the federal marshals, the federal marshals showed up at his place. And by absolute luck of a meeting, of a happenstance, of an introduction, I wound up getting a job at Daigle's Rod and Truck on Collins Ave in Orange, flew home, got my El Camino, timed it on the way back, uh, bringing my El Camino out here to move here for real. I stopped at the Hot Rod Magazine Super Nationals, and Jeff Smith and Rob Canan both asked to feature my El Camino, and thus started the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So crazy um yeah crazy so just did what i had to do you know um and and some things were good luck and fate and timing and so i lived in an area called oceanside and commuted to orange every day so i did about 112 miles round trip every day to work um I did it on a motorcycle for you in SoCal. You know the Irvine Crush, the 405 five intersection. Oh, I yeah. rode through that. I rode through that shit every morning, every night <laughs> on a motorcycle in the rain or in the 115 degree heat. I earned my man card. Believe me, you. Um, but I loved my apartment. I, if, uh, you guys uh, remember the movie Top Gun? Uh, he rode his motorcycle down a palm tree lined street to a little tiny house uh, where the love interest was. Uh, that house was next door to the apartment building I lived in for $285 a month. Wow. You would walk across the road, you walk across the two lane road, and you are on sand right next to the Oceanside Pier. And I was not leaving that shit. <laughs> that was awesome. So um, even though my, I was exhausted by the time to get to work, you know, your neck muscles are dying from paying so much attention so you don't get ran over or killed. <laughs> uh, but when you get home in the evening, dude, and the sun's going down over the water, mm, boy, it's all right, you know? It's all so right. So speaking of Top Gun, how far away were you from where they filmed the beach volleyball scene? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. All I know. Were you in the beach volleyball scene? Were you an extra? Do you want the honest answer to that? Well, if you want, if you want a really trippy thing, when I was younger, I was 15. I couldn't drive yet. I worked at this tiny rinky-dink theater, and I was working there when that movie came out. And if I hear "wah wah 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 wah" that "Take Your Breath Away" song one more time, I'll kill somebody. Um. I saw and heard that movie 10 billion times. And little did I know, at 15, 10 years later, I would be living next door to that beach house that I saw on the screen, on that street with that palm tree-lined road, that I would be telling my friends back home, where do you live? Watch the movie. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's where I live. How's shoveling snow happening for you? Now, <laughs> oh, that? Oh, um... So that trippy, you know, little did I know watching that movie that I'd wind up living right next door to that house on that beach. Be curious um, to know how much the rent is on that place nowadays. I don't know. It's still there. I visit it. Wow. I, I stopped yeah. by. It's still my apartment number 32. Really still got the key. Still go in there. Uh, no, <laughs> they found on that. <laughs> 
stop and rearrange their furniture. Hi, <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> it would be even but better if they did first. and they invited you in. Have you found the oh, two-way that... mirror yet? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Set up like, the porch, serenade here with your base. Oh, yeah. Let's not. No. No one cares about bass solos. Nobody. Except me. When Billy Sheen playing or Les Claypool or Getty Lee, and the whole rest of the world is just yawning. And I'm like, do you understand what this man's doing? And clearly the answer is no. So, um, yeah, it's okay. I used to tell my students, we're the most important thing in the band. We match the rhythm of the drums and the tone and harmonies of the music. We are the most important thing. Don't let anybody tell you different. Um, the rhythm section. We are we are the groove. We are the we are the thing. Uh, but yeah, so you know, crazy. You know, I've got a I guess way too many interesting, weird, or interesting to me. I guess weird, crazy stories. How this whole thing happened and existed. And my life is very surreal, which I wanted for the TV show. I told them, let's do a kind of like a backstage on me. My day is nuts for me. It's strange the world I live in. Now, remember, I'm an ex-16, 15, 13-year-old from Apple Lake in New York. You know what I do? On my phone, in my phone, I get phone calls. I talk to Michael Anthony from Van Halen. I talk to Sung Kang, who's Han in the Fast and Furious movies. I talk to lead head executives at Mattel, at General Motors, Editors at the, the magazines that I lived for, Hot Rod, Car Crap, Popular Hot Riding, um, Hemmings Muscle Machines, Rod and Custom, Street Rider. I get phone calls asking new, brand new, great book that just came out that's quarterly called Wheel Hub by Stephen Kim, uh, ex-Hot Rod magazine editor. and asked me if I, if I guest edit in on something. I get asked to do stuff like what you're doing with me right now. It's, it's lunatic. My day is, is surreal. Joe Rogan calling, asking me, how's my car? While I just got off the phone with my executive producer of my TV show. That's not so. That doesn't happen. That's crazy talk for me. And even though it's my daily life and it just happens, you know, just that's what happens. When I sit back and look at it or when I'm f reflecting on it, talking to people like, like I'm talking to you, that's nuts. Especially to the ex-Appalachian New York me. That's completely insane. Oh, um, very surreal to me. And I think what's good is that I look at it that way. I think I, I stay grounded, realizing that this is a really neat thing I get to do. And it's very rare air. A lot of people don't, don't do this. You know, well, thank I, goodness I get, with all, all the stuff you're doing, you get to lower your standards and talk to us tonight. Well, yeah, and I was thinking the same thing. Um, <laughs> thank you thank you for that it, it's, it, it's a, and you're welcome um but it's <laughs> it's uh yeah it's kind of trippy you know i i was just on leno's doing this game show thing and i've been i've filmed with jay before and usually his one of his main guys walker calls me and for that thing jay himself called me you know, just, hey, man, I want you to this thing. It'd be really cool. You know, I'm like, holy fuck, Jay Leno calls me. That's insane. And he invites me. He doesn't need to. He can certainly have his people do it, you know. Um, right on. Again, trippy. You know what I mean? Just, just very surreal. 
And that's what I wanted to do with the show, but they didn't want to focus on that much. And I'm like, you should really show the, the insanity or the weird thing that, that I never believed. You know, it never happened to me. That's crazy. It's crazy talk, you know. So but, look, looking at it that way, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, did you have any vision for yourself or was this kind of the idea where you just did you just know you were going to build cars or were you like, Oh, I want to no. be a lawyer or a dentist or anything like that? No, the, the only thing I knew and it traces back to me at 13 years old, 12, 13 and being very frustrated with the fact that I was, I was invisible or I felt invisible at school. Um, then I wound up going to a public high school and everybody was already in their groups so I didn't belong to any clique, which was actually a blessing. But I knew back at 13, I remember, I could, I, could, I could take you back to the location, the building, the side of the building, in front of which window I was standing, what direction I was looking. And I won't get into what was frustrating me, but I was very irritated with my surroundings. And I went, I am way above this crap. And I'm going to be something. And I don't know what that is, but I'm going to be. And from there on out, I just did. And the bass thing um, worked out very well for me. And I had a lot of, a lot of great memories and got to do a lot of cool things because of playing and traveling. And uh, then my inability to understand that things are possibly bad ideas, moving out to California, opened up amazing doors for my work ethic to take advantage of and back to the joke of too stupid to know I can't, you know, it's like, why can't I have a hot rod shop? I, I could do that. I could build cars, you know, even though I didn't think I was awesome. I just thought I could do it. I wanted to so badly, but I never thought of opening a shop. I just started building stuff for myself and had personal goals to get back in the magazines. It's kind of a drug, you know, you want that hit again. You know, you want that bump. And um, then I wound up helping friends with their cars, and that car became top 10 car of the year. And then Hot Rod asked me to build the car for them. And um, that's how that all started. I didn't have the, the delusions of opening up a shop. People just started asking me to do stuff, and it just kind of happened. Oh. And then, you know, I am 25 years later, and a lot of cool things, you know, a lot of neat opportunities that a lot I earned and a lot came my way and I was able to take the opportunity and not shy away from it and assert myself to do it even if I really didn't believe I could or not. I just did it, you know, just closed my eyes and jumped in and just did it. Right oh, that's, that's the game. Sometimes you got to just do that, you know? So it, as far as starting your own business, I mean, which is a huge jump, I mean, for, for anyone doing yeah. that, I don't care if you're sitting in an office drawing cars or building cars, there, there's a lot of struggle with it. But what were your first steps? I mean, did you, did you kind of run the whole thing yourself or did you go about it the smart way and say, look, I'm going to kind of find a few people who know what they're doing as far as accounting and maybe personnel management 
and build from there? Or did you just kind of jump in with both feet and say to hell with it, I've got a building, let's do this? I was doing, I was working for a gentleman doing prototype work for Mattel, which was cool. This was just hanging out in his garage, basically building model cars, building prototypes, getting Larry Wood drawings and creating them one-to-one scale. And you are my and, hero. And uh, I worked on a lot of stuff that was on the shelves back in uh, 98, 99. Um, and when this decision was made, um, I stopped working. I got a facility. I could not afford an apartment, so I had my bed next to my lift, and I had a piece of heavy-duty plastic that kept the metal shavings off my bed. And I, <laughs> I, I joined a 24-hour fitness place down the road, so I had somewhere to shower with 30 strangers every morning and every night. And I would sit there in my office in the morning, order parts and eat my Cheerios, work on the cars, and then shake the metal off the bed and, uh, you know, go to 24-hour fitness, shower, and wake up and do it again the next day, right to, unfortunately, the location where the bed was was under the AC ducting, so when it poured rain, it rained through the vent down onto my bed. I remember crazy rainstorms. I was outside putting a ladder up against the locked-up ladder to get up to the roof and shoving used T-shirts down the ducting to keep the rain from falling on my bed. And, uh, you know, that's how that shit started. I, I did everything. I did everything on the car except paint it and sew the seat covers. I wired it. I did all the plumbing. I did all the modifications, the designing, the cutting, the welding, the paperwork, the phone calls, the promo, the marketing, the getting it out there, the taking it on tour. I did 110% of all of it. God. Period. So, so at what point did you know it was time to add an employee? Two or three years in. And the first employee was my, um, uh, at that point, wasn't my brother-in-law. Um, but um, he uh, came down and helped me. And I introduced him to John Hotchkiss. And he's been the designer for their parts ever since, the engineer. His name is Aaron Ogawa. Extremely talented young man. Very gifted USC mechanical engineering degree. Um, and also an autocross racer. And that's what I told John. I go, you got a guy who's got all the brains, and he also has a seat-of-the-pants understanding of what suspensions are supposed to do. You should hire him or you're out of your mind. And he did. Um, But uh, he helped me with the car called GTXR, which was the world's first paddle-shifted muscle car. I designed all the paddle-shifting. We unveiled it with a... Yeah, cool car. We unveiled it. It was my first SEMA car. We unveiled it with the Chrysler Corporation. Um, But that was the first one I had somebody helping me. Um, So by like, I don't know, what would that be? Probably 2005 or so. 2006 is when I finally moved to a little bigger building and got an employee. But... I still do everything. I do all the paperwork. 
I do all the marketing, all the promo, all, all the taxes, um, and I design everything. And I'm less hands-on now because a year plus ago I lost my right eye. Um, but I'm still tinkering and working, still have my hands involved on specific things on cars that are really important to me. Uh, the dashes, I change a lot of dashes around. So that's one of the things my hands are on tomorrow. I'm working on the dash for Rogan's Nova. Um, so very involved. I am definitely an employee that started on the bottom, sweeping every floor and cleaning the bathrooms and <laughs> knocking the metal shavings off my bed. Oh. <laughs> Do, uh, w would you be comfortable all talking about, um, the situation with your eye or is that something you'd, you'd rather not talk about? No, no, I, I, I actually, um, talk about it on one of the episodes and what happened was a mistake with a, uh, with a doctor that didn't bother to follow through properly on something. And I went away to go to PRI that PRI, my retina had completely um, disconnected. Got back here, went into emergency surgery, and the very short version is is seven surgeries later in a row, and I don't know how many of you have had stitches in your eye, but it sucks balls. And to do it over and over and over again and be told the retina's not sticking, the retina's not sticking, the retina's not sticking, and... Um, for the final two, the sixth and seventh, I went to another surgeon who's an expert, a retina expert out of UCLA. Really great guy. His name's Dr. Asmali. And he thought he had it on operation number six, and he didn't. And so we set up a seventh, and he came up to me in the, um, you know, in the pre-op and uh, said, you know what? We got to save your eye even if that means saving your sight. Because if your body kills your eye off, then it's going to shrink up and we're going to have to pull it out and put a glass eye in. It's painful and annoying. I said, okay, you do what you got to do. And through all the surgeries, my retina, it's, it's like brain tissue. In fact, he's very open. They don't know anything about it. They know what it is, just like brain tissue, but they don't know how to fix it. He goes, look how we fix it. We tape it back up the laser that's all we know how to do and um so he wound up removing basically a third of my retina because it was so tattered from all the laser and so you would think oh you lost a third of your sight well you're fucking wrong so um you lose basically everything and the scar tissue that comes in later takes pretty much care of anything else that you were barely kind of sort of seeing and that's okay. You know, I've gotten used to it. The scary thing is, is I have a, a really bad fast cataract moving in my good eye. And we're going to have to have cataract surgery, which means once that surgery hits, I will be blind until my eye heals. And hopefully that retina doesn't attach. I had cataract surgery in the, in the right eye, the one we're talking about. And all the doctors say, they will never say, how do I change this? They all agree that any kind of surgery on your eye may or could promote retina detachment, not necessarily does call it. That's all they'll say. So, 
you know, my, my batting average is kind of scary here. So after I, after I have the cataract surgery that I will have to have, my, my, I will go blind just from cataract if I don't. So I've, I'm in a corner. Um, so after that, um, the only thing I have in my side is preparation. We're going to be watching it constantly. So this time when I say something seems wrong, someone's going to pounce on it and tape it back up before the whole thing can just, you know, disconnect. So kind of nervous, not really thrilled with going blind. Plus it's really embarrassing you knowing a company called Pure Vision. And then you're a half blind. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's kind of a funny oxymoron. I swear to God, I'm going to do promo shots with me with a cane and black glasses. <laughs> but pure vision, kind of. You know, um. <laughs> well, man, I, I I don't think there's a possible way to express it in just a few words, but man, I I, I can wish you nothing but the best going into that. Well, thank I, you. Um, it, it's a different world, but like as an artist who's losing the use of his hands, it's I believe I, I I not to say I see where you're going with this, but I I can completely understand, man. And, God, yeah. dude, I hope it comes out for the best for you. Me, me too. You know, I'm, I've got great people behind me now, so I've got the best chance up to bat. You know, we have, we're going in prepared. We go, we're going in um, educated. And uh, so I have faith in my team and the people around me when it comes to my eye. And um, that's, that's all I can, you know, what else am I going to do? You know? So, well, yeah, it'd be cool. You know? And, and I think, what, you know, after a few surgeries and things like that, you've probably got it to a point where you guys communicate really well, which is probably the best oh, yeah. thing you can have going for you anyway. So I, I spoke really openly. Yeah. He, he, he knows me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you openly? No. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely have no, no conversation, uh, hangups with him, but he's a good guy. I trust him thoroughly. Oh, that's that. Yeah, that was a downer. Jeez. No. <laughs> no. I appreciate you uh, you sharing that. I man, I, I certainly didn't want to pry. That was the last thing I wanted. Oh to no, it's it's okay. You know what? I pushed real heavy to have it on my show because I wanted guys, people, kids who have something whatever it is that they think will hold them up. It's like, no, the only thing holding you up is you, you know, I lost an eye. I got the problems. I've got things like hurdles I got to overcome, you know, and I said something when, when they, when they were at the end of the little clip, I go, you know what? I still got one good eye. So you're all in trouble. Cause I still build badass shit. You know, I'm not laying down. I'm not, you know, worrying about it. So, Whatever your thing is, I hope it reaches a kid or another person. Whatever your thing is, it, okay, fine. You've got a stupid thing. Work around it and still be great. That's all there is to it. you got no other option. Don't crawl in a hole. No pity parties. Do what you exactly. got to do. And do what you love. More importantly, I love this. I'm not giving it up. Not going down without fighting and kicking and scratching and swearing. So you just, that's what you I find want a to different way to do it. I find a different way to do it. You're damn right I do, and that's yeah. what I wanted to get across to people. I didn't want to share my tear jerking sob story. 
I wanted to empower somebody of going, well, that guy can, you know, do what he's got to do. I can do what I got to do. You know, that's, that's what I wanted out of it, uh, putting it on the show, because I wanted it to inspire somebody who may have doubts because of whatever this hurdle is that they have. And it's, you know, you just walk around it. You just, it's not a mountain. You just take the long road around the mountain. You know, you find a way. Um, that's what I wanted to get across to people. And hopefully it comes across that way. I hope so. We'll see. Thanks for sharing that. That because that's I think what this whole thing is about. You know, it, it's getting out there, inspiring somebody. Uh, man, that was pretty powerful. Thank you very much, man. That's uh, okay. But what if what but if this it, person out there that hears your advice has a man bun? Does it still count? Mm, the same? I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and if, if said person ever comes and says I inspired him he hugs me without him knowing I'll just take scissors and cut that shit right off him. <laughs> as you're hugging him uh, yeah and give them their yep. coffee bag yeah here's your damn coffee weirdo <laughs> so now dig, dig you know what it's, to... it's, it's all whatever the, the main gig there's so much separation now between everything and it's so finite, you know, you bring, it's humorous, but you bring up a really good thing. And in our performance automotive world there, you know, there's everything imports and original old cars and, and modified stuff and Uber on the edge trick stuff. And, you know, I, I actually give it all a wide berth, even though there's some stuff that I think is absolutely disgusting. Um, the bottom line is, is that guy's still going to stand with me against the government when they want to take our keys. So I try to I try to keep that into play even when I think they're 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 rusty crappy piece of rat rod shit. Uh, did I say that? Um, no, you no, know, no, I, yeah, I, that'll I, come I, out in editing as their patina preserved oh, yeah. automobile. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's well, gonna come out. For me, weathered. I have I, I've done plenty of interviews and I've spoken very openly about it. And I said your your complaint. There's only two ways those cars are are put across to me. It's either I don't have any money, which holds no water with me because I built two Hot Rod Magazine full feature cars with no money. All I did was give a damn and have elbow grease and took the time to do something nice. I also did work in exchange for favors, rebuilt that guy's motor, and he painted my car. So that's a lame-ass piece of shit excuse, number one. And number two... Um, the only other reason you do it is because you want to ride the trend pony. And that's even more disgusting because your car looks like a pile of crap. You got no pride in it whatsoever. And for whatever reason, you think it looks great. Sorry, it looks like a piece of junk. Why don't you spend some time and have some personal pride in what you own? I, I'm not into it. And when I say rat rod, I don't mean old patina car because there's old patina cars that are put together very, very well. Their wiring is safe. Their plumbing is safe. The car goes down the road safely. That's fine. I'm not thrilled with no paint. I'm not filled, thrilled with fake rust. I don't understand it. I've always wanted a nice car for myself long before customers, so I, I do not understand it. But as long as you took time to put something together okay, 
then I'm okay. But some of the stuff I've seen at like, you know, some of the Pomona shows and different stuff where crap's being held together by bailing wire and they brag on how, you know, how loosey goosey the cars bill. Yeah. Like they did back in the day. No, they didn't do that back in the day. Junior. <laughs> Want to know why? Cause I'm friends with a lot of the 70 year old hot riders who were there in the day. And they tell me that they didn't build anything that crappy, you know, and all of them would have died to have a Jeff Watson paint job or Larry Watson paint job, but they couldn't afford it, but they would have had one if they could have afforded it. They would have loved a metal flake paint job, but they couldn't afford it. None of them went, you know what? Primer's in. Nobody wanted that. They all wanted a cool seaweed flame job or metal flake. So they could go to the Autorama and have the angel hair all around their car. They all wanted that. They couldn't afford it. You guys celebrate mediocrity and fall back on the, well, all the photos are all rough. Yeah, because they couldn't afford it, you dink. Go talk to them. All of them wanted a nice car. Oh, my God. What a bunch of ignorant twits. Yes, that's you, whoever I'm talking to. You're ignorant. You're dumb. The guys back in the day wanted a nice car. I know because I've spoken with hundreds of them. They all wanted a tuck and roll interior and chrome. They didn't want mediocre. They couldn't afford anymore, and there were no aftermarket parts to buy for twenty nine ninety nine at Summit. Stop it! Stop with your fake <laughs> Hollywood version of what Hot Rod was. Stop it! <laughs> I know better. That's the problem. I know better. I know better because I've asked the dudes who were there. Stop it. Mm. And it gets even worse when they all try to out-rat each other like it's this badge of honor. That's what I was saying. You know, if someone builds a a rough-down car, but it's actually put together safely and well, then I just disagree with the aesthetics. But there's guys who, like like you said, were out-bragging each other on how crappy the thing was built. And I'm like going, you are sort of... Wally Parks would be ruling over in his grave. He spent his life, or the half of his life, on the safety safari with the NHRA trying to prove that hot riding was a bunch of goobers. And you clowns, along with other unmentioned famous YouTube shows that I won't mention, are, are celebrating junk that catches on fire that you bash into walls with and i'm like i swear to god i i, I swear and the lowest com- of course the lowest comment take it easy there easy so the lowest common denominator morons all think this is great i'm like oh yeah this is great let's go back to the uh, gladiators and the lions and beheading that's terrific yeah that's great not for me I think it's dopey and stupid, and I really don't care if it gets 10 million hits. Good for you. It looks dumb to me. I think that's human nature, though. A lot of people get into competition over anything. So you you might have the guys who are trying to out-rat one another, but then on the same token, you've got the guys who try to out-50s one another. (laughs) There's always the guy who's like, if cruiser skirts are good, well, bubble skirts on top of cruiser skirts are going to be even better. You know, yes. How many continental kits can I put together to make one humongous continental kit? Slave well, rolls out about, the front. Right. So how about <laughs> we just focus on building a nice car for yourself that you like? I mean, exactly. That's what throws it all out 
of, of whack. But you know what? Again, the dudes we're bashing on here will stand next to us when the government tries to take our keys. So, oh, exactly. They are, they're brotherhood, and everybody listening, you know, I'm not down on you. You are my brother or my sister. I'm cool. I may disagree with how you're executing your particular vehicles, but I do know we stand together and we all enjoy our cars. And we all enjoy tinkering on them and expressing ourselves in our own ways, whether it's tastefully or, <laughs> or whether it's to follow a current trend, whatever your motivation is, you enjoy doing it. And, and that's okay with me at the very bottom end. I'll still buy you a beer. Still good. Yeah. Right. It comes um, to, it's like any sibling relationship. You know, you're not going to see eye to eye. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I think at the end of the day, like I said, we're all in this together, even if we don't see eye to eye. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's okay. You know, I've met a lot of dudes that the, the, the what they were driving or what they were screwing together aren't my thing. But you know what? Hanging out with them, they were cool people. They were nice human. They were polite and kind to other people. They had a good sense of humor. And so, you know, at the end of the day, that, that's the deal, you know. Well, I think there's we should there should be a nice resurgence of everybody understanding that we're in this thing together. Calm the calm the heck down. But yeah, we'll see. As long as we're still still allowed to build our stuff and uh, hang out and do cool things like car shows and drag racing and road road racing and tours and all that kind of stuff, you know that's. It's a good thing. I have a lot of great memories of some of my favorite people on this planet I've met through this industry. And uh, very, very, very amazingly great friendships from this. There's a, there's a guy named Bill Durham that wrote for Street Rider magazine back in the late 80s, early 90s, way He's before there was any. In Bill's Eye, right? You this are 100% correct. In yeah. Bill's Eye. And he. They had jokes, running gags about how much mail he got because he was very polarizing and very opinionated. And he's on a video I have, one of the good guys' videos I purchased, and I believe it's an interview with him up in my neck of the woods at the the, the, the um, NSRA meet in Rhinebeck, or good guys, good guys meet in Rhinebeck. And they were asking him, the, you know, um cornerstone questions I would call it of hot rodding and he had a fantastic answer that stayed with me and he said you know these when these heavy hitters these guys with the big pro money dollar cars when they come in through here you know what these these heavy hitters come in and the normal guys here he goes when you're here on the grounds the playing fields equal and I remember this quote he goes in high school being a year or two years older or younger completely dictated who you hung out with, let alone the clicks, right? And he goes, here you can have a retired 65-year-old brain surgeon hanging out with a 23-year-old guy, kid, that rides on the back of a garbage truck, and they both can be geeking out over a particular intake manifold and talking about it. And 
every their age and their income and their everything has matters nothing, absolutely nothing. It's a it's a complete equalizer. This hobby, this sport, everyone's the same. It, it, it doesn't matter. And I thought that was an amazing thing to say. And he's right because I've talked with people way above my pay grade and way different in my age group. And we're talking about that. Oh, did you see that trick willies? Holy shit. That thing's so cool. Badass, you know, and we don't have anything in common, but we can sit and talk about that car for five minutes uninterrupted. And from there, French can friendships happen. You know, I met one of my best friends, I'm from upstate New York. They're from Canada. I met him in the parking lot of the Holiday Inn in Canfield, Ohio, out there for the Super Nationals. I met him in the parking lot because I was underneath his friend Chevelle looking on how he set up his ladder bars. And we met, started hanging out, and he wound up being the best man of my wedding. Ten years later. Fifteen years later. You know? He didn't know this cat. He didn't know me. So, you know... Uh, that Bill's words really stuck with me on that. And it's really, really true. It's a really cool thing. It's a major equalizer. Um, it's, a, it's a cool bonding age. So I kind of look at it like that and, and try to try to keep that in, in, in focus of when I'm hanging out at the Grand National Roadster Show and I have so many people drop by the booth and they're very complimentary. You know, they say nice things about our builds and I hand out posters and stuff. And I'm talking to everybody and anybody. Every age group. I mean, kids, I'm 20 or 30 year olds that read the magazines come up and talk to me. Older guys, businessmen, executives, uh, you name it. Such a crazy, you know, cross section. Um, And that's pretty cool. So you have the opportunity to meet anybody, you know, and become friends with anybody. Now, that's, that's one of the things I've liked about this industry and this hobby is car people are pretty cool, you know. You get a real car dude, a real one, they're the guys who pull over and help people to change their tires. They're the people who hold doors and say please and thank you. They're nice people. You know, a lot of them. They're really good people. And I, I think it's a I think it's a hobby sport industry full of really cool people. They disagree, but pretty cool people. I mean, like for us, our our little podcast group, we came together over cars. Well, except for Brad, we found Brad on Grinder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Wow. He obviously likes team action, so okay. <laughs> which is which is what Alex put in the search box. Right. Oh, yeah. There you go. I checked a bunch of boxes. Truth in advertising. <laughs> Man. And cut. Hey, yeah, get that in post. Yeah, that's not gonna get cut. That'll be that'll be a highlight. It's gonna be. That's what's gonna lead the episode off. Perfect. We found Brad in Grinder. <laughs> it's, it's like an ongoing joke here in every episode. At least somewhere in the show notes, there's something about Brad. So tonight we have, you know, the show notes would be Poor Brad's Brad. Grinder profile. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Brad, are you are you okay with this? You all right, hey, Brad. I got I got thick skin, man. It's all good. <laughs> okay, you had that in your ad too. Thick skin. 
Really? I think that was under uncut thick skin. Um, yeah. <laughs> something about skin. And I'm, and I'm really not needing to know much more. Um, <laughs> wow. Thanks for sharing, Brad. <laughs> thanks for listening, Steve. <laughs> I love it. Hey, what Steve, other, thank you for, again for coming on tonight. That was that was a bunch of great stories. Yeah. 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 Well, you're welcome. Thank you for uh, letting me infiltrate your airspace. Oh no, it was, it was awesome. It's our pleasure. I can't. I can't say enough. And that that doesn't mean that's not a callback to Brad's profile. It's really our pleasure. Lord Almighty, help me. <laughs> what did you do tonight? Well, I met this guy named Brad through Grinder, and uh, he was one of the group of guys. <sighs> it's only going to get weirder when I tell him in five minutes I'm going to take him out to dinner. So... <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hang in there, Brad. Oh, I know. Of course. Are you guys going to be out at uh, Grand National? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, come find me in the booth. Come find me in the booth. And... Um, that's an interesting question. It's been an... Yes, I'm going to be there. Yes. Okay. I'll be walking around, but theoretically I may have a car in the booth because I might be doing a favor for somebody. I wasn't planning on taking anything up, but I had somebody who, who may need um, a car, and I said they can use one of mine, and so, you know, be well, fine. Either way. Oh yeah. Well, you clearly got my cell phone number. So yeah. yeah, I'll be I'll be hovering around the main area. I'll probably either be in ARP's booth or over in uh, Scotty at Dynamat because those are my buds. Uh, um, so I'll be floating around near the front half where the Ford area is. I'm usually kicking around there. Um, yeah, yeah, fine. Dude. I'm around. We'll get you beers. Perfect. Well, man, again, thank you so much for 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 making time for us and, and for sharing like you did. I truly yeah, appreciate. No, it. no, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much uh, for letting me on. Appreciate it. Definitely, we're looking forward to putting this out there. And like I said, hopefully, this inspires you know some kid or even some some guy who's you know just doing this thing out in his garage. I think yeah, you shared quite a bit that can do that. Yeah, there's no reason why you can't. The number one thing stopping you is you, period. Because if I can do it, trust me. <laughs> I, if I can if do I, it, If I can do it half as good as you do, I'd be happy. So be it, and I thank you for the compliment. But, you know, it's a lot of it is just wanting too bad enough. You know, in my opinion, you know, that's how I see it. Right on. Right. Well, thank you, dude. We'll be talking to you at SEMA. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. You guys have a good night. And um, uh, again, thanks. And yeah, get a hold of me up at SEMA. My phone, if I don't pick up, text it and I'll see it. You know, if I'm in okay. a meeting or setting up, I'll just hit you back as soon as I'm out of the meeting. Right on. Sounds great. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, no sweat. Call me the, I'll call you the next day or so. All right, dude. Check have with a good one. <laughs> Alright guys, we'll talk to you all later. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. See ya. That was fun.
It was, man. It was all over the place. I loved it. Well, big thanks to uh, to Steve Strope for joining us tonight. It was fun. Yeah, I, I think Steve kind of epitomizes where a lot of us were at early on, you know, our influences and, and how we attempted to do things and how we tried to do things. It's just he has got this ethic that is amazing that he doesn't let anything stand in his way. And I think it was pretty inspirational to a, a lot of us and a lot of people that are not sure what they how, how they want to do something. He's just one of those kind of guys. He's going to kind of kick it into high gear and floor it. And I, I'm impressed. It was fun. It was really a fun, uh, fun show. Definitely. And you know, even going into this and knowing him a little bit, this really opened my eyes to a lot of things and put a lot of things into perspective too. I, I really think, you know, growing up the way he did, you know, you have parents that make you go out and do work. So it teaches you to kind of improvise and adapt and overcome. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he really found a way to apply those life lessons to his career. That's yeah. that's pretty damn amazing. Yeah. And Brad's got nothing to say after the grinder thing. I apologize, man. <laughs> oh, it's always about Brad, Brad. Always his nose to the grindstone. <laughs> and Alex doesn't help the situation either. What? <laughs> what? That's how I found Alex. I found Alex through his ad that said enabler. <laughs> enabler, that's right. <laughs> It's worked well. Put on your business cards, man. (laughs) Alex the Enabler. Hey, Carson wanted us to have nicknames. There you go. I don't think this is what he was thinking. His ears are ringing right now. (laughs) Probably. So, yeah, on on that happy note, um, as always, uh, thanks for, I don't want to say tuning in, but whatever, you know, whatever it takes. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate you guys for doing so. Um, lots more good stuff to come as we head toward the SEMA show. We're in that. Are we officially in the SEMA thrash zone at this point? I think so. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're about four weeks out. So, um, yeah, good times. If uh, you'll be at the SEMA show, you can find us wandering around. We'll be the guys. We'll be, actually we'll probably be the only guys at the SEMA show wearing a shirt that says the Round Six Podcast. If you see anyone else, chances are it's it's counterfeit. So chances are we needed gas money and we sold one. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, if that happened, um, feel free to throw us food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. All right, guys, let's wrap this up and uh, call it a night. So... At the end of this one, I have to say, once again, I feel like a much enlightened Brian. Uh, apparently, I'm uh, I'm Brad with a weird profile. <laughs> I'm still Alex. The enabler. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. And be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com. I don't know if that's code for Brad or anything. It's code. It's code. It's code. <laughs> it on my profile. Clean pipes, trim bushes. <laughs> <laughs>
Grim. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> Brought <laughs> <Rob> Drive's <laughs> specialty. Oh god.